Hey, this is Steve Adubato. This is the Leadership Hour. I'm here with my colleague, Mary Gamba. We're at East Main Media Studios with Brian Brodeur. Mary, we got a great show in just a little bit. We're going to be listening to Patricia Costanti, the CEO at MD Advantage, talking about women and leadership, right? Mm -hmm. That is correct. By the way, I tell folks, uh, other than listening to us on AM 970 every weekend, 2 p.m., on Sundays, where else can they catch us? Yeah, they can subscribe to the podcast, which is great, on Apple iTunes and on Google Play. They can follow you on Facebook, Steve Adubato, PhD, that's A-D-U-B-A-T-O, as well as on Twitter, it's Steve Adubato. And they could also go onto our website, stand-deliver.com. Lots of free articles and information there as well. Yeah, we hear a little noise in the background. We have a very special guest. Before we get to Patricia, we're honored to have because she's always on the run. She always has somewhere to go. She always has so many things to do. She's the leader of the Adubato home. This is my lovely wife, Jennifer. Jen, how you doing? I'm great. Did you hear me start the car? <laughs> <laughs> you st Hold on. Jen, we did a section of the show on multitasking, and sometimes you need to be present. What do I often say to you when I'm talking to you and you start texting? Oh, I... I'm the worst defender of it. I'm never, I'm not present. I'm oh, yeah. Really not, not as much as it should be. Oh, better yet. Yeah, Jen, Bill, my husband, tells me that he can text and talk to me at the same time. <laughs> and to which I respond, <laughs> no, you can't. And he actually can because he'll often hear what I said. He doesn't actually react to it, but he did actually hear I the I would words. love to hear Bill Gamba. And my wife have a conversation while they're both texting at the same time. <laughs> That'd be fascinating. <laughs> so, Jen, listen, there's a reason for me doing this. Real quick, two things. One, uh, Mary, I know I said I was going to ask my wife about how much a leader can go home and talk to the significant others in his or her life about what's going on. But, Jen, I want to try something else. Jen is, the, no joke, the leader of our house in terms of so many things. She gets things done. She has the vision, her company staged and styled. Jen Adubato, staged and styled. Did I get that right, Jen? Yes. Okay, just checking. So she's out there staging homes and doing all kinds of things. Jen, we have very different styles when it comes to dealing with and communicating with, let's say, people who do work around our house, people we pay to do things. And I was saying to you last night that I have a need to be more direct and specific, and I don't love when people come up with excuses. And my argument is, and this is a communication issue as well, it's a leadership issue, that you're quite, quote my words, understanding of people and all their reasons why they can't respond so quickly and do what they need to do, and I'm not accepting of it, and you're more you say? Yes, I'm absolutely more accepting of it. I mean, I run my own business. I know how hard it is sometimes to get it all done and get back to people in a timely manner. And I know it goes against everything you say. I get it. But I think sometimes you don't even give people a chance. To what? Make an excuse? To respond. You want everything done yesterday. And it just doesn't happen that way. I think you're you're not reasonable sometimes with people's time frame. And and weather and, you know, it rains and they have to push back a job and, you know, you want it done yesterday. And as a leadership trait, are you arguing that my lack of what you're defining as patience and I define as a very important sense of urgency, are you just saying that that is a leadership flaw? 
I believe so, yes. Mary Gamba is here. Oh, 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 yeah. Hey, Jen. Mary, you're not hosting the Jen. You're not hosting the show. Well, well, Jen, I wish you were here. I'm nodding. A huge, <laughs> overwhelming yes. Yeah, there are times when a sense of urgency is needed and warranted, and there are other times when the I need it now, I want it now, don't they know who I am? They need to get done whatever this is immediately. And this all goes back to leadership because it may be somebody that's leading the construction company. If you're talking, I don't know what the specific instance is, but if you're talking about the construction company, maybe they they didn't get in the wood that they needed. Oh, Mary, stop it. Stop this. There's nothing but excuses. Leaders have to have. I'll connect this back to leadership instead of the domestic issues going on in the Atabato home. Great leaders have not only a sense of urgency, but a can-do. We will and can get it done, even if I don't know how to get it done. I will tell you yes and then figure it out. Jen, you say? Yeah, I understand where you're going with it. I, I get that, and I do that with my own business to an extent. But there are some times where there are just things that are out of your control that you need people to be a little understanding of certain circumstances. That's all. I mean, I, I agree with you. I know... You know, I do think that you need to basically say yes most of the time and make it happen. Because you're innovative, creative, out of the box, can figure it out. That's part of leadership as opposed to here's my list of jobs and I can't fit you in right now. And so I'm not going to get back to you. And when I do, I'm going to tell you a million reasons why I can't do it. That's forget about being an entrepreneur and a business person. It's a poor leadership trait to tell you all the reasons why I can't do something. The great leadership trait is, I'm gonna figure it out. That's all I'm saying. Yes, and I agree with you. I do agree. I, yeah, I know the person you're referring to, and I, I agree it wasn't handled the right way. And let me ask you this before I let you go. What is your lifelong aversion to confrontation? <laughs> I don't have a problem with confrontation. Uh, you think I'm stubborn with everything. I'm not, I'm not. I think you have it wrong. I think you see me a certain way. No, 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 I don't think Yes, it's... you do, no. that's what you're saying. Other than with me, when you're very tough, <laughs> Mary, did you want to ask the question before we okay, let her go? I'll, I'll go you got to go. go there. You're okay. going to let it go. You, you can you frame ask it. it. Go. Okay, we were Jen. talking about getting you, no, credit right. and talking about, I said, great leaders accept all the responsibility when things go wrong. And when things go well, Barry Ostrowski was saying this on another show. He said, he said, when we have a, a heart surgeon and a heart surgeon saves someone's life, Barry doesn't go around saying, yeah, I saved someone's life. And I said, Barry doesn't also go home and tell his wife, hey, I hired the heart surgeon who saved someone's life. He doesn't go home and claim credit. And Mary goes, well, no, it'd be fine if he did. And I said, no, you don't claim credit. You share the credit. You don't glom it. And where the whole conversation was started was with Nick being a coach and saying, oh, you know. Oh, Nick was in the car. I'm sorry, honey. Nick was in the car on Sunday when they won that basketball championship. And he said, Dad, I was the leader. I got it done. And if it weren't for me, the team never would have won. I said, Nick, don't ever say that in public. Right. And to what I said, it's okay to say that. (laughs) And I said, it's okay to say it behind closed doors to your husband, your wife. And Steve, and I almost quote, and Brian, you can correct me if I'm wrong, said that I do not do that at home at the dinner table. Yeah, this is what Steve said, that he does not sit down and say that my organization, my company exists because of my vision, because of my passion, my dedication, because I lose sleep at night, that he does not say those words out loud. He may feel them, but he doesn't say them. Because and I think I that's said, poor leadership. And, and I she, said, she rolled her eyes and said BS. Go ahead, Jen, you're on. 
No, I, I think you do a good job at giving credit. I mean, you're constantly talking about how. He does. Now, we know. Look at her. She's skating around it, though, because, she's yes. She's not skating around no, it. I said that you Anything do Anything that give, doesn't agree with what your view of the world is, she's skating around it. Yes, we know he gives credit. We're all very aware of that, and you do a great job at that. But has he ever done that at home at the dinner table? Done what? said, yeah, that this is because of my vision and everything that I do, that I'm proud of this company that I've built, that because of my vision, this yeah, is... I mean, I, I think you probably have said that over the years, but I don't think it's a bad thing to... That And I said, that's what I said. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. The best leaders so own it. on the back, right. Amen. Course. And that yeah. was the same thing. I said, that's what Donald Trump does. That's the best leaders believe so highly in themselves that that's why they're successful. I'm they... sorry. I'm going to say this. I think it's much more impressive and important for a leader to get praise, not from themselves, but from others around them. Oh, I agree. Yeah, but maybe there's a balance. I think it's healthy to do both. Give that praise to other people, but also know that you're a part of it. Well, I, I appreciate that, but I think I'm much more, I'm being this very serious, I see myself as very much like Mahatma Gandhi as a leader. I, <laughs> Did you just <laughs> He just compared himself to Gandhi. Well, you know, very Zen-like. I, I, knew, I knew he was looking you, for some kind of angle. I just couldn't figure out what it was. You'd think I just went there just to say the word Gandhi. Yes. Oh, wow. Well, I, Mary, I'm partly that was tongue-in-cheek. Will you stop it? Listen, Jen, I know you have 17 things you're doing today, and you're only on item 14. Right. So I appreciate we... On the Leadership Hour, the Steve Adubato and Mary Gamble Leadership Hour on AM 970. By the way, you will listen this Sunday. I know you want to listen to yourself. We appreciate oh, yeah, our on. I love listening to myself. Well, Jen, I'd be happy if you just listen to me. <laughs> this is actually airing. She thinks it's not airing. Jen, I want to thank you for joining us. Have a great rest of the day. I will see you later tonight at dinner when I give praise to the rest of the world and accept none of it myself. Okay, we look forward to that. Thanks. Yes, we all do. And by the way, on another show, we'll talk about those incorrigible dogs that you've been unable to lead and manage and train. I'll talk to you later, Jen. Okay, let's leave off on that. Great. Thank you. Okay. Bye. That was my wife, Bye, Jen. Bye, Mary. Bye, Jen. Bye. That was awesome. Anything? Yeah. Bueller? <laughs> I think that we're all in it. I think the one thing that we've learned is that, yes, that you do give tons of credit when credit is due. That's what we learned. And that is a true fact. And every once in a while, you may do the other thing, too. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's okay. What I'm saying is the more important issue here is not at all about me. It's that many of the people we work with have a very hard time recognizing, acknowledging, giving credit to others around them. And my argument is this. When I talk to our clients about this, I say make it part of your everyday interaction with people until it becomes what I like to call leadership muscle memory, yeah. meaning – it's part of who you are and what you do. It's in your DNA. And even if it's not in your DNA now, you can retrain yourself to have it be that way. Oh, I just don't give credit because what am I going to give credit if they just did their job? No, no, trust me. They need it. It makes a difference. They don't get a lot of recognition. And once it's there, when I don't give credit and acknowledge team members, it feels unnatural now. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't always like that. Right.
So we evolved. On Leadership Hour, we talked to great leaders of all stripes. Absolutely, absolutely. So you are going to be talking to, and I say you, this is one that we're grabbing from the studio as well. Um, so you won't be hearing me chiming in. This was just you and Patricia Costanti. Tell everyone who um, Patricia is. So Patricia Costanti, she's the chairman and CEO of MD Advantage, so MedMal insurance provider. And she is just one of the greatest leaders that we have gotten to know over our years at Stand and Deliver and through our television production company, the Caucus Educational Corporation. And we just really got her tips and tools on leadership and being, more importantly, a woman in leadership and the challenges and the lessons that she's learned. And so I talked to Patricia about leadership. And this is Patricia Costandi from MD Advantage. Steve Adubato here. This is the Leadership Hour podcast, radio show on AM 970. We are pleased to welcome our good friend Patricia Costanti. Uh, talk about leaders. Talk about someone who uh, is an entrepreneur in her own way and is uh, in a very tough industry. She is the chair and the CEO of an organization called MD Advantage. Uh, Patricia, welcome. Thank you, Steve. It's great to be here. For those who do not know what MD Advantage is, it is? MD Advantage is a medical liability company. We protect physicians, medical malpractices, what we're known for. You know, I always like to say this because it's true. Uh, disclosure uh, matters. I've been coaching, uh, mentoring, communication, and leadership at MD Advantage for more than a couple of years. You and I have collaborated, uh, dealt with all kinds of challenging issues that you are the one who has to make the tough decisions. Are I'm, as a consultant, you just give advice. But I've always wanted to ask you this in a public setting. Leadership for a woman who happens to be a leader versus a man who happens to be a leader, do you think there are any significant differences? And if so, what may they be? I think there are a lot of significant differences. Um, I would like to think that they have become less significant over time, but I'm not sure that's true. Um, I've been in my role for about 20 years, and I think that it is a little more difficult still for a woman to establish credibility in a role in a variety of ways, both internally but also with outside resources. I think it's important within an organization for people to understand that when you are asking them to do something, it's not a suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think that happens much more for women than it does for men. Really? Um, I think there's sometimes a very different level of credibility, and an organization has to get used to that difference. From outside the organization, it's a variety of strange things. I'm sure that when you take clients out to dinner, you don't have to think a lot about where you go. Um, that would be true. <laughs> right. I need to think about the fact that if I'm going somewhere I haven't been before, that I get there first so that the server understands that I'm in charge of the dinner, that I get the wine list, that I get the check, um, and not be in an embarrassing position where my male guest is treated as if he's actually taking me out to dinner. And you do all this before? Absolutely. Absolutely. What? I mean, they seem like silly little things, they're not silly if but, it's not but there are well. things that have to be front of mind and have to be handled. And sometimes they can be handled with my assistant, and other times they need to be handled by me directly. Well, you know, it's interesting that you talk about handling things directly because Patricia and I, for about 20 years, have had conversations about the fact that my sense of you is that much of your success 
as a CEO, as a leader, is the product of that you own it. I mean, you own a lot of things, um, personally and professionally. And uh, recently, MD Advantage had to deal with some, let's just say, uh, some challenging situations around physical plant, right? There was a serious Flood. flooding, right? Yes. And I don't want to go too, I don't want to say anything that's inappropriate or un unfair to people, but you were there, physically there for a lot of it. Why did you feel the need to be so engaged and involved dare I say, in the weeds, in the details, as opposed to saying, listen, I'm the CEO, I'm the chairperson, I'm going to let others do all that stuff. So one of the things that I talk about, specifically with my board, because I'll get questions from the board about who else on the team can help you with this. And I really believe that a lot of the success of MD Advantage comes from the fact that we live at the intersection of being a corporation and really focused on best practices and the highest performance that we can achieve and being a small business. And I feel like I move in and out of the mm -hmm. role of being CEO. Are you COO as well? Um, de facto? De facto. De facto. Of being CEO and being the small business owner because I know that you know, Steve, better than probably anyone that I feel like I gave birth to this company. Well, we should tell people a few years ago. Oh, my God. I can't believe we're doing this on the air. Um, a few years ago, MD Advantage was in a very challenging situation where you had to raise. Give me the number. We needed $30 million. Over how much of a period of time? 62 days. Patricia Costanti and her team led that effort, achieved that goal. And that is part of the reason we're sitting here today, Correct. Correct. Hands-on. Very hands-on. And that was a time that we needed to be extremely hands-on. And so I always feel, and I know that I've said this to you before, that I have two children. My one child is 25 and my other child is 16 right now. And uh, Hold on. The Stephanie younger is. <laughs> I want to be clear. Stephanie is 25 and, and MD Advantage is 16. That's right. And... You know, having that history with the company, I think, has me move in and out of these two roles, I hope, fluidly. It's not neat and clean. Sorry for interrupting, Patricia. This is never—leadership is, here are the 10 things you do to be a great CEO. Oh, oh, it's not neat and clean, and a lot of it's gray. Correct. And I feel like a lot of what I need to do with the size of the organization is to lead by example— so I don't expect anybody else to be ankle-deep in water unless I'm ankle-deep in water with them. And over time, because the rebuild was a fairly lengthy process, over time I decide and can see who on my team I can trust to take over the details, which then allows me to pull back and refocus my attention on matters outside the organization. The bigger picture. The bigger picture. Hold on, are you saying that a crisis potentially helps a leader, he or she, see things in his or her team that they may not otherwise see? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that this crisis pointed out to me was, first and foremost, we have a really good disaster recovery program. And although we lost arguably 50% of the capacity of our building, we didn't miss a beat. I mean, this happened on Memorial Day weekend, 
and we were issuing policies on Tuesday. So there was absolutely no interruption of day-to-day -day business. And for people outside the building, no one knew this happened. So that was a tremendous reassuring lesson for me to learn. I also was able to step back and see, when we talk about what's leadership, I was able to step back and see who stepped up and said, I've never been in this situation before, but I know I can handle it, as opposed to the people who said, wow, there was a lot of water in here, and kept going about their day-to-day -day <laughs> business. And watching business, the parade go by. And watching the parade go by. And based on that, in the short time since this happened, I've made different decisions about how to deploy people, who's on my short list for a promotion, whose job description can change because they obviously can handle more than I had the reason to see prior to this event. So hold on, as Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, says a great leader is sort of like a bus driver. He or she needs to know where the bus is going, why the bus is going there. But also, who is sitting on what seats on the bus? And you have, on some level, I don't want to oversimplify this, you have moved people around to different seats. Correct. One more thing I want to get out of you. Okay. Coaching and mentoring people, uh, giving feedback. We actually have a seminar coming up where we're talking about giving feedback, right? Right. I'm not talking about, oh, uh, Brian's here in the studio with us. Uh, this is easy feedback. Brian, you're the best. You're terrific. Uh, you're the best production expert with a terrific team. He'll take that, right? Absolutely. But the harder part are those difficult conversations, Patricia, right? It's not telling Brian how great he is. Is it challenging for you uh, being not just a great leader, but also an incredibly, dare I say, nice, considerate person? Is it harder for you sometimes to give really difficult, constructive advice that, quote unquote, may hurt someone's feelings? Loaded question, I know. So, you know, I think giving difficult feedback is almost important. is almost like exercising, right? Um, you mean we don't want to do it? But. <laughs> well, well, yes, we don't want to do it. We realize we have to do it. But also it requires a commitment to ongoing training. So I would say that I think that I do an excellent job of giving positive feedback. I'm all about positive feedback and telling you and Brian that you're the best. Great job is easy. Great job is easy. It's much harder to say, wow, you really missed the boat on this one and let's talk about it. And I think I do a good job with that. But even in the process of bringing in the seminars for my team so that we can start to look at how we do that as an organization has forced me to say, I really need to up my game here. I can up my game here. I can do a better job. And part of that is reminding myself that less than positive feedback gives somebody a growth opportunity. It's not how to pull the rug out from no. under them. And I think that sometimes when you start to have those tough conversations, what you begin to focus on is, oh, my God, I'm going to ruin this person's day. And really focusing on how can I make this an opportunity for this person to really up their game and change their seat on the bus. And that's really thing. what it needs to be about. It needs to be positive and constructive even when addressing what you perceive to be a shortcoming. By the way, Patricia, of all the descriptions I've heard of feedback, constructive, difficult feedback, 
the exercise analogy is one that's going to stick with me for a long time. We don't want to do it. It's not fun. But it's the right thing to do, and it's good for you. And in the case of feedback, it is the right thing for others because they may not ever reach their potential if we do not. Finally, leadership is not for everyone, is it? It's not, and I think that one of the things that I struggle with a lot is are leaders born or are leaders made? Oh, I mean, you know, that, that's like, that I know, it's just, it's <laughs> just this say? circle. I don't know. You know, I think there's a lot to be said about being the firstborn, being the only child, sort of coming up through life thinking, I need to be in charge <laughs> here because I don't know who else will do it. Right. And certainly that's what I look for with people I work with. I look for the person who is more willing to say, I'm not sure how to do this, but I'm going to take it on and I'm going to get it right. As and opposed to waiting and say, um, as opposed, wait till Patricia tells me what to do. Or I'm interested in this. I'm going to wait till I can take a course. I mean, it's the person that really is willing to step up and take the chance who's always going to get the chance as far as I'm concerned. You know, I've said this before on this uh, radio show podcast, uh, and I thank our friends at AM970 for broadcasting it, but also everyone who listens to the, the podcast you can have friends and colleagues like Patricia Costanti, who you've talked to offline and about all kinds of things privately, but when they're willing to come on the air and talk about leadership from their own very unique and important perspective, it is incredibly gratifying. So I just want to say thank you, Patricia, for not just being a friend and a colleague and a client, but way more importantly for teaching me an awful lot about leadership. Thank you. And thank you, Steve. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Boy, I'll tell you, Patricia had so many interesting things to say about women and leadership. And we actually did interview Patricia right here at East Main Media mm -hmm when we were doing the MD Advantage podcast. podcast. Yeah, podcasts are the way of the future. It's amazing. And it's just a great way that people listen, get informed. And so they jumped on that as well. And they're giving a lot of great, valuable information for folks in healthcare. So we got about five and a half minutes left. I want to try something. You and I keep threatening to talk about this, and it's a great time to do this. Here's the thing I want to put out there, particularly what, what Patricia Costanti was talking about when she was talking about the whole question of being a leader, and when you're a woman, you have mm -hmm. to think about things very differently you know, than a man does. Empathy. To what degree do you think, A, most men even have a clue as to what it would be like, what it is like for a woman in a leadership position, A, and B, this empathy that we talk about, is it in your DNA, or can Steve Adubato Mary Gamba coach it with our company, or is that futile? Load it. Loaded question. That is way loaded. And what do we have, Brian? Do, about... the, do the first four minutes. Do the okay. first one again. All right. Men empathizing with women in leadership position. Can we even begin? Impossible. And women cannot empathize what it's like to be a man. And that's what makes us unique in a good way. And it makes us different. And working together to learn to understand. Empathize is a tough word. To me, empathize is I can genuinely feel how you're feeling, right? You know, at the time that we did this, my dog just passed away. So I now can empathize 
with other people who have lost a pet in their family. Do you have to go through that experience you to do. actually empathize? I, I thought really? I understood. I did. And it's like, you know, thank God right now both of my parents are still alive. I'm very blessed. But I can empathize. I am so sorry for your loss, you say to someone, right? A lot of my friends, unfortunately, have already lost parents. But I am confident. I have no idea really what it feels. So that's when you can understand what it may be like. But to truly empathize, I do think in some cases you need to be in their shoes. And that's men and women as well. Okay. Let me tell you why I disagree with this. I don't define empathy in the same way you do, mm -hmm. because if we were to define it that way and then say empathy and leadership or great leaders are truly empathetic, then the logical conclusion would be the only way that that so-called great leader could do that is if he or she actually experienced True. that exact situation. And that's not realistic. Mm -hmm. My definition of empathy is this. A good human being mm -hmm. just steps back and tries to imagine what it might be like to be in that position. Sure. That's what they do. And so I can't exactly understand or appreciate that. And by the way, even if someone loses a parent or a loved one, it wasn't exactly the same situation. So my dad's dealing with dementia. Mm -hmm. So someone says, oh, my father or my mother had whatever. I can empathize. I can appreciate that, but it's not exactly the same. Right. And so my whole thing about empathy is, just the effort to try to imagine what it might be like and stepping out of yourself and going, A, I care to know more. B, I may even ask you right. more about it if you're willing to talk about it. That's the practical definition True. of empathy. So practical, yes. Can men empathize with women? Yes. Textbook definition, sure thing. I believe that. I think that men can understand what the challenges are. That's very black and white. Of he what or she can try. He can try can to try understand. To. And by the way, even asking. Right. Exactly. And understanding. It's it's about seeking that level of understanding and asking questions to get to why is it so challenging to be a woman in leadership? What's why? the biggest challenge yeah. you face? Mm -hmm. I want to know more. Right. That doesn't mean I can never empathize because oh, I'm not exactly, a woman. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I was defining empathy a little bit different. But it is true when it comes to men understanding women and vice versa. It is about seeking that level of understanding of what would it feel like to be in their shoes. And, to that, uh, the and final... it is teachable, by the way, just to go back to your I, other I question. I believe it is too. And by the way, it goes back to a phrase that I've used many times. It comes from the great late Dr. Richard Carlson. He calls it the theory of separate realities. Mm -hmm. And he says the goal, the goal is to really step back and realize that your reality is just that, your reality. Mine is not yours. We've been working together for almost two decades. But when you lost your dog, I could try to empathize. But we have two dogs. I, I'm not, I don't, I hate to say this on the air. I don't. I'm not in love with them that much, yeah. and they're irritating to me. Sure. And so I was trying to imagine what you were feeling. And again, we talked about this. I wasn't as upset as I was seeing my kids, my husband, and my father-in-law. That's upset. what I related to. That because, you were dealing with that. Right. It's an animal. We're all, you know, going to have animals that die. Like it was more of watching them suffer. That's to me true empathy of now I know what they felt like and having to tell them and break that news. So it is, it's it's a lot, it's an interesting uh, leadership topic for sure. It, you know, what's funny, final point is we call it the leadership hour. Sometimes I think this should simply be called the people hour, mm -hmm. the human, you're shaking your head, Brian. That's no, true. It's making it's leadership just, human. We are all human beings. Yep. And if we started treating each other that way, regardless of your stature or position in a company, we'd all be better off. I tell you, I'm very much like Gandhi. 
<laughs> I got a Gandhi quote. You want it? Oh, yeah, Give me a Gandhi go. quote. Let's and Brian Burdur, give us a Gandhi quote. I suppose leadership at one time meant muscles, but today it means getting along with people. Oh wow. God. You would think that we planned that right are you, there. Hold on one second. Are you sure that Gandhi didn't steal that from me? Because I would like to claim credit for that. Check his Twitter. <laughs> check the Twitter account, I guess. Gandhi's Twitter account. <laughs> so listen, what we've learned today is that Gandhi is brilliant. He stole from me. I give credit to everyone else, and I accept none of it. And my wife is going to kill me for having her come on live, and she didn't know she was coming on. And that Pakistani's really smart. And Mary, just stop staring at me I'm, like that with those side eye things. I'm just. I'm Steve Adubato. That's Mary Gamba. This is Brian Brodeur at East Main Media. This is the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour. Stay tuned for State of Affairs right after this. Catch you next week. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. This is Tracy Thompson, New Jersey's acting insurance fraud prosecutor. The state of New Jersey is making learning about and reporting insurance fraud easier than ever. At njinsurancefraud.org, you'll find tips on identifying insurance fraud and a simple, confidential form for reporting it. Report it, end it. Hi, I'm Gene Kornakia. At St. Peter's University, we believe that all citizens need to understand the importance of higher education and how it affects our lives. That's why we're proud to support the important programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at Two Gateway. Funding has been provided by St. Peter's University, the Jesuit University of New Jersey. Choose New Jersey. Our mission is attracting companies to the Garden State. The New Jersey Economic Development Authority. The law firm of Gibbons, PC. The Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. MD Advantage Insurance Company of New Jersey. And by St. Joseph's Health. A passion for healing. It's what's inside us. Promotional support provided by NJ Advance Media. And by Meadowlands Chamber. Building connections, driving business growth. Welcome to State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. We're, in fact, coming to you. I can get this out from the beautiful Agnes Ferris NJTV studio. Once again, we're joined by uh, Steve Phillip, who is the mayor of Jersey City. That happens to be the second largest city. I do this every time. Yeah, you're a little biased. You're from Newark, but... Uh, Are we not in the largest city? It's debatable. It's Brick City. It's debatable. And I knew you also have a very productive relationship with the mayor here. Yeah, I'll be at a state of the city tonight, and uh, he's a good personal friend, and uh, I wish him the best. But, uh, you know, like, actually, I think the better Newark does, Jersey City does. We're intertwined, so... You're not competing? Isn't everybody competing for uh, uh, valuable uh, uh, development and... And tax rateables now? I mean, I, I, you know, I, I don't think we've kind of gone head to head on any sort of issue like that. I mean, I'm a cheerleader for him, 
And uh, the only thing I would have changed in hindsight, speaking on that, is I probably would have joined him on the Amazon proposal. Instead of doing a competing proposal, I should have thought yeah. about it a little bit more and said, let's do a regional one together. Sure. He would have been amenable to that. We would have focused a little bit more on the housing, him on the commercial side. Probably would have been a little bit more appealing. Mayor, help us on that, because I know the New York yeah. Situation: People decide for themselves what they think of the question of whether them losing yeah. Amazon made sense for them yeah. or not. The competition to try to get them here. Yeah. Overall, tax incentives, government tax incentives yeah. to attract certain businesses who may not otherwise come. Yeah. Overall, you say? I think. Well, look, it's been good for essential. Jersey. Essential in the right circumstances. So you have uh, you have examples like Goya in Jersey City, right? That. They were in Secaucus, they threatened to move, they moved one mile and they got a massive incentive. Um, that sort of example, which New Jersey has done repeatedly, doesn't make sense. You have what about a, if they were potentially gonna move out of the state? Yeah, I, don't I, don't know, think, I don't know the particulars. I, I, so, so, so to me, um, I think you should call the bluff on that, really, because it's difficult to move. And generally, I think that that narrative is one that the companies just use in order to garner the tax credits. I think we should be targeting what the governor saying, some of the smaller businesses, some of the kind of new technology, and also, you know, the big corporations outside of uh, New Jersey. Let's talk about innovation. Yeah. Um, transportation in Jersey City, huge issue. Yeah. What innovation is going on, technologically or otherwise, yeah. to improve transportation in and around Jersey City? So let me start by saying Jersey City is one of the few, and Newark for that matter, one of the few cities of our size in the entire country that doesn't control any of our transportation. We don't control the light rail, we don't control the ferry system, the path system, the bus system. Major obstacle. Uh, we are hopeful to roll out later this year a system that uh, um, that has worked in some of the other larger cities. It's similar to kind of Uber technology, but branded buses that'll actually pick people up and they'll take them to the path system and we'll use the areas that are, you know, deserts from transportation to kind of start off. Curious, switch gears dramatically. There is no city in this country that has not had challenging, difficult issues between police and minority community. Yeah. yeah. Jersey City is no exception. Um, what will you tell us? What has been going on in Jersey yeah, City to I, try I to would, avoid what has I, happened I, in so I, many I, other I, American I, I cities? Would, I would debate that fact. I think that we've been uh, we've done a lot in recruiting to make sure that our police department reflects the diversity of Jersey City. When challenging I came into, to do that? Yeah, it's really challenging actually because you know uh, people move. It's hard to follow up. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of reasons why people fall through the cracks on the application process. So sometimes you have to hold hands. And then, you know, a lot of time people get into the academy and they realize that this kind of paramilitary sort of operation is not for them. So um, you got to really work the community to make sure that it reflects the community that it serves, work the police department. But we've hired 250 officers, 70% mm. of them are minorities. We really changed the paradigm and uh, we've been seeing crime decrease. Speaking of crime, speaking yeah. of people who perceive, some people who perceive what a crime is or is not, legalizing marijuana. Yeah. Your community took a lead on this. Yeah. The state legislature and the governor, as we do this program in the spring of 2019, grappling with it. We don't know if voters in the state yeah. will ultimately have to make that decision through some sort of right. referendum. What do you think the solution is? Well, there, there's two things that are important to me and the mayor of Newark. Uh, the first is the expungement component, making sure that it is extensive and robust. Clarify that for someone yeah. of the record. Look, you know, yes, correct. The, the reality is that the proposed legislation only deals with small quantities of marijuana today, um, which isn't acceptable for us. And if you think about it, it's hypocritical. Excuse saying, me, the proposed legislation to legalize cannabis in the state. Yeah, yeah, it deals with expunging small right. quantities of selling or possessing marijuana. And that's really 
not appropriate and it's hypocritical. So you're basically going to say that I'm going to keep somebody's record who sold drugs or marijuana on this corner, but today I'm going to legalize it for a corporation on the same corner that can make tens of millions of dollars. So there needs to be extensive expungement. The second part is a fair tax rate for host municipalities. Meaning what you get back yeah. for having a business yeah. based in your community needs to be higher. Correct. So, so other municipalities around the country where states have legalized marijuana has been mm. in the range of 5%. We're looking for the same. Gun control. Yeah. Why is that such an issue for a mayor of a large United States city? So we've, uh, I'll put it in perspective, Jersey City, we've had about 500 guns taken off the street, illegal guns, over the last two years. They come from out of state. And uh, you got to think of it from a police officer or resident standpoint, how terrifying that is. So um, I just came from a press conference with the governor where he was discussing raising fees on um, licenses and making it more transparent for uh, the public to see where and who's manufacturing those guns. Mm. It's a tough situation for cities, and we need some help on the federal and state level. Um, this one you didn't expect. Uh, we're doing a new series. We're actually launching right yeah. here at NJTV Studios called Think Tank. Okay. It's New Jersey, New York folks that we have talking about larger issues outside of our yeah. borders, if you yeah. will. One of them is the future of the Democratic Party. Yeah. Um, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah. And there are others, let's say Nancy Pelosi and others, who are in a different wing of the party. Do you actually say to yourself, this is where I fit as a Democrat? No. Um, no look, there, there are things that are concerning for me. Um, the movement towards socialism is concerning for me. I, 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 I'm, I'm not there. Um, you know, some of the uh, legislation that's been pushed, the narratives around uh, pro-choice and pro-life that are getting more and more um, extreme, you know, I have concerns around. Um, I, I think that... Is the term progressive meaning something different than you thought it meant when you called yourself a progressive? Um, you know, I, I think it's really hard to work with, like, labels. Everybody calls themselves a progressive or a, a, a Democrat or a socialist. Uh, but if you look at the policies that people are pushing today where the Democratic presidential candidates are moving, I think it's a little bit far left to get uh, elected in a general election if you uh, nominate the wrong candidate. I know we're doing this in the spring. Cory Booker, legitimate shot of being president or getting the nomination first. I mean, I'm probably the only, uh, well, I'm, I'm one of the larger city mayors that hasn't been there endorsing him. The only reason is because I want to put my resources in the person that I think has the best chance of beating Donald Trump. That's the number one priority for me. And I don't feel just because somebody's from New Jersey, I need to be there. I want to listen to all the candidates. It's going to be a field of like 20 people. It's going to be interesting, and I promise we'll have you back to talk about that and other issues. Yeah. Uh, Steve Phillip is the mayor of uh, a great city, Jersey City, which yeah. happens to be the second say largest. I mean, uh, you're I'm just very, saying. I mean, it is what it is. You're going to say it, but we'll talk in 2021. <laughs> Thank you, All Steve. Right. Thank you. Well done. Thanks. And we'll be right back right after this. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. There he is, State Senator Declan O'Scanlan, Republican from the 13th Legislative District. Where is that? 
down Monmouth County, Bayshore, Monmouth County, uh, Little Silver, Fairhaven, Rumson, all the way up to Keyport, Keensburg, Union Beach, Middletown in between, and, and uh, 16 other great towns. You sure didn't leave anyone out? Oh, I did, but I'm not going to go through the whole number because <laughs> I'll forget one. And, exactly. Uh, well, you won't forget this, the fact that the governor, Governor uh, Murphy, has put out his budget. Go on our website, find out more. Also, check out NGTV News every night to find out what's going on in state government. And you, my website, DeclanOSCanland.com, where my editorial about the governor's budget is, uh, will cover things comprehensively. Well, Senator, why don't you do this? Tell us what you like and what you didn't like about, this, about the governor's it, address. It's about priorities. It's about focusing on the things that are not particularly sexy, like spending new money on various programs, but taking care of the bills that we already have and the commitments we already have, including our commitments to public workers, uh, property tax relief, you know, boring but important stuff like that, uh, and getting away from the idea that every single budget's going to include new taxes, especially when we're not. Uh, more greatly ramping up uh, these <clears throat> obligations. Uh, there's not so you one... don't like, excuse me for interrupting, uh, Senator O'Scanlan, the proposed increase on taxes on those who earn $1 million or more that the governor has put out, you think is a... I think it's, it's extraordinarily ill-informed. But we need uh, that revenue, don't we? You know what? Well, then let's, let's go to an 80%. Let, let's take it to its logical conclusion. Let's tax those people's income to 80%. No one would say that that's a good idea. They'd say these people are going to leave in droves. At some point, there's a straw that breaks the camel's back. We've already exceeded that. There are people leaving this state because they can afford it. They don't have to be in Florida for six months. They can, all you have to do to is establish out of the residency. state for six months in a day. They've already got a house in Florida, a condo in Florida, uh, for four months. Get a Manhattan uh, uh, apartment. Stay there for four-day weekends for another 12, 15 weeks a year. And you take your taxes down to zero. So they can do that. They have done that. Uh, and it's a terrible message to send. We just last week had uh, folks at the national level saying avoid states with, with incredibly high levels of unfunded man But respectfully, uh, Senator, sorry for interrupting, the governor says this is about tax fairness, that those who earn the most need to pay just a little bit more in order to have universal pre-K, in that, order to have New Jersey Transit we, get the money it we, needs, in order been, to do a whole range of things. We've been hearing that for 20 years as we slowly tighten the noose on these people, as we slowly continue to squeeze the, the, the goose that's laying the golden eggs to the point where you crush it, it doesn't lay any more golden eggs or it flies to Florida. Uh, there, there is a limit and we've reached it. There's no question. You don't have to listen to me. Listen to Andrew Cuomo. Last I looked, he was not a strange arch-conservative, cruel... What does he say uh, about spendrift. taxes, the governor of He New York. says the worst thing you could do is continue to raise taxes on the wealthy because they have the ability to, to leave. Now, well, look, we have a progressive system. I get it, and there's an argument for that. But we've gone to the point where we can't go back to that well. We are already taxing these people in this state higher than they pay almost anywhere else. Uh, so, and they have alternatives. They can go to Florida and zero. That can make Zero hundreds taxes. of thousands of dollars yep, uh, of, of income for these Senator, people. Senator, let's stay on this. But you've, you've also gotten more and more involved in transportation issues. Yep. Describe, in your view, the condition of New Jersey Transit, A, in terms of how it serves commuters every day, and B, whether the governor's right to provide more dollars well, for New Jersey Transit. Okay, let's take from the top. The condition of New Jersey Transit on behalf of the, of the huge number of commuters in the 13th legislative district, very technical legislative term, it sucks. 
Now, <laughs> what do we need to do? We need vastly more investment there than the piddling money that the governor has dedicated to. Hold on, wait a minute. You want him to spend million. more money there, there's but there's no not question. enough. Hold there on, are, but he's trying to get more revenue that in is order one to do of that. The unsexy things that should be on higher on a priority list than investing more in pre-K, which is questionable the value of it. You, you can argue that. Questioning then, the value of universal pre-K. Uh, there's no question. I, I, I can I could question Senator. that from a very practical standpoint. There's people that I know in the educational uh, realm who say, fully fund the formula before you get to funding pre-K. Steve, we don't have unlimited amounts of money. If we did, I'd say fund pre-K, no problem. We don't. There has to be an adult in the room who finally says, we've got to prioritize all these things, get what we've already committed to right before we make new investments. That's a pretty reasonable well, thing. Well, along the same lines, what about um, providing free community college? That the governor proposes? Uh, I get again. So we're doing that while we're shortchanging New Jersey Transit. So those commuters who are stuck at those platforms with canceled trains can thank the diversion of money to a new program like Free uh, uh, Community College. But it's a question which no of one's choices. clamoring for, what? by the way. No uh, one's what? No one's clamoring for that, by no, the way. Hold it's, a it's student who is not able to go to higher ed, the, a parent who is not our, able to afford it. Our community college is pretty affordable right now. But For there was whom? no movement until this governor came on the scene and created the movement. It wasn't there. You didn't have students protesting for free community college. Give me a break. Uh, overall, again, we have a finite amount of dollars. We need to, to, to meet our pension obligations. Ramp that up faster before you make some mm, of these other things. Let's talk about that. The governor, right before the budget addressed, there was a some say significant agreement between the state government and the Communication Workers of America, who in fact represent a significant number of public employees. A compromise, if you will. An increase, and if I have this wrong, I know you'll tell me. You've never been shy about that. I will. About getting those who are public employees in the Communication Workers of America to contribute more to their own health benefits, which in fact re reduces the state's obligation and helps us on the pension crisis. A good thing. All for it, yes. And I applaud the communication workers to, to step up. And Governor uh, Murphy? And work with Governor Murphy. I do, yes. Okay. Uh, now, the problem is that you can't do a very tiny step like this and declare victory or say that because this happened, the problem is going to be solved over time with negotiations. Ain't going to happen. If you really are going to get the savings that we absolutely Absolutely need in the pension system in, in the pension how bad is and it, health Declan? benefits system. Senator, how bad is it? It's bad. Uh, this year we'll contribute around eight billion just north of that. State dollars to and the health pension benefits, fund. Both pension and health Got benefits. It. That's more than 20% of our budget. If you talk to Moody's, if you talk to the ratings agencies, you need to be around 13% or less. We are at the highest percentage, and we're going in the next few years of phasing. We'll be at north of 25% without the major reforms that Senator Sweeney, to his credit, has advocated. I've the been Senate president. The Senate president. Give us the one that would help progress. get the path to progress. And by the way, we're going to be joined by Senate President Steve Sweeney, who will talk about the path to progress, his plan to get our fiscal house in order, his approach to it. One significant step that needs to be taken to get our pension, public employee pension crisis, into a better place than where we are right now. It's a mix of pension and health benefits. Health benefits taken from Platinum Plus, which, which are an outrageous, it costs you more than $40,000 a year for a family. You're saying too good a deal? In the teachers. It's... It's more than taxpayers can afford, dramatically more. And by the way, you could pair those costs dramatically and still give our public workers better health care than just about anybody else gets. But don't teachers, and listen, the NJA is one of the major underwriters of what we do, and so they can speak for themselves. But here's the question. 
isn't part of what happens for a teacher that he or she makes less than others, but there isn't, you get the advantage on the benefits. If you do it benefits. right for many teachers, because they pay a percentage of their premium, they will actually get some savings when we cut costs. Now it's true, some out-of-pocket costs right. will go up. And I would Two also seconds, say that teachers are not overpaid. I think we pay them fairly. Uh, okay. but. We have, to, we have to make this work for them, for their future, for their family's future, and for the taxpayers. State Senator Declan O'Scanlan, 13th Legislative District. I appreciate, we appreciate you sharing your thoughts on this. Thanks, Steve. Important My pleasure. Discussion. Thanks Thank for having you. me. This is State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. I'm pretty confident we'll be right back right after this. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. That's Lou Manzion. He is president of uh, Association of Independent Colleges and Universities in New Jersey, also president of the Independent College Fund in New Jersey. Good to see you, Lou. Thanks, Steve. Thanks to be Many of your members, uh, member institutions, they're independent universities. Yes, public mission, independent universities. So we don't, we're not state universities. So they're, they're Seton Hall, Georgian Court. Is Princeton in there? Or? Princeton is in there. Stevens. Uh, Stevens Institute of Technology, right? Yes, Whole nationally recognized technical college. Uh, Felician. Caldwell, uh, well. Caldwell, Centenary University. Some of them we know very well. But Fairly here's what's fascinating to me. This independent sector, not the public sector, both get public support. Yes. But the amount of support, state dollars, to independents, much lower, right? Uh, yes. By design? Um, we, we get the tuition assistant grants, which are very helpful to our students. Tag we grants. get a tag grants. We also get a very small amount of operating aid. That's where the publics get a, a lot more of that. Yes. So it's, it's less support, uh, a lot less support per student. So it's order of sort of $2,000 per student support for our 65,000 students. Lou, do you think there is a big difference? We've, had, we've done so much on higher ed over the years. Do you think there's a significant difference between the students who go to independents versus publics? There's not actually that much of a difference. Uh, I mean, uh, there might be a misconception that we're more affluent. That's just simply not the case. I mean, certainly post-recession, our demographics are very different. A lot of first-generation. A lot of first-generation. was the president of Bloomfield, Bloomfield College. College. Yes. I remember he'd come There's back those... every year and say, you have no idea how many first-generation... They would never be able to go to school, you would often tell us. Right, right. Without the tuition assistance grants and the, uh, and the other aid that we get. Now, we also raise about $900 million of institutional aid that we provide to our How? students uh, from donors, from corporations, from alumni. You know, fortunately, there's many who believe in higher ed for their philanthropy. Uh, we have a lot of great corporate sponsors in the state. This, this state is really fortunate. Trust me, corporate underwriters, foundation underwriters, we wouldn't be able to do what we do if it were not for them. Uh, and, so. and that's correct. And we're, we're really fortunate in this state to have such a strong corporate sector that believes in higher ed and understands that this is their talent pipeline of the future. At, excuse me, the, the question, Lou, of access, that's what keeps coming up. Yes. Affordability and access. More challenging access to independence? I, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I mean, Steve, actually, about 10%, 14% of our students actually do not pay anything. They're lower income students or they have you know, excellent scholarship aid. 40% uh, pay less than $10,000. 
Uh, 40% of our students pay less than $10,000 in tuition and annual tuition. Because of the support? Be because of the support that we provide, mm -hmm. the institutional aid, the funds that we raise. Now, realistically, from scarce resources, things that can be done, you know, used for other things. So let me ask you this. The governor, Governor Murphy, we're, we're doing this program a little bit after governor's uh, budget address. He talked about, and if I have this wrong, I know you'll tell me, increasing aid to uh, non-documented citizens to go to um, institutions of higher learning, correct? The DACA students. Yes. A good idea? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a good idea. I mean, uh, these will be our future, you know, skilled workers, our college graduates. Uh, there's a demographic decline in, this in, in, in the United States. We, also, we have kind of 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day. There will be a real crunch in the talent pipeline, particularly in sort of a northeastern state like ours. Um, we, according to you know, the, the governor's plan, mm. you know, based on the innovation economy, is we need a lot more, you know, citizens with college credentials. The, the DACA students, we welcome them uh, on our campuses. We have large numbers on our campuses. Really good idea. Real quick, uh, I want to ask you about the value of uh, higher education in just a second. But real quick, the, the, the whole question of the two-year county and community colleges, the transition to a four-year school, happening more and more. Yes, and, and a this good is thing. a good idea. This is a good idea. How's it a good idea? How is it a good thing if you're not getting them for all four years? Well, we we want them in the system. But so we have great articulation agreements with really all of the county colleges, all of the community colleges. We have guaranteed transfer policies with with most of the the community colleges. Um, if, if that's the pathway that they're coming to our institutions in third and fourth year, we welcome it. Meaning, there's no no one way, no one path. There's there's no one path. That's it. We want multiple paths. You know, this is interesting. I had a, a conversation with one of your colleagues, uh, the president over at uh, St. Peter's University, Dr. Yeah, Gene Kanakia, about the value of higher ed because we actually had uh, Gary Vanderchuk, who a lot of people know is an internet sensation, young guy, entrepreneur, said, college is overrated, don't need it, don't waste all that money on college, put that money into running a business. And Gene had very clear ideas as to who that may work for and who not. You say? I, I say there's no better investment than a college education, particularly in the economy, particularly in the governor's plan for the most inclusive, diverse, innovation economy is that we need to be playing with the full team and that team needs to have college credentials for the 21st century economy. I mean, the, the countries and the other international uh, where we're competing will require advanced post-secondary credentials. Uh, we're, we're clear of that. We're on one of the fastest gradients of transition in the workplace probably known is that advanced credentials that you get from a college education are critically important. We don't know the careers that we'll actually be planning, pe uh, preparing people oh, excuse for Excuse me, sorry for interrupting, but in a few seconds we have left, Lou, some of the curriculum is changing to adapt to what we think those professions and fields may be. Yes, there's a certain amount of the curriculum that's aligned with professional aspirations. Right. All good. I'm an engineer my, myself. However... But the field's the, changing. But the field is changing. And what I studied 30 years ago was not the engineering that I do now. So therefore, the fundamentals, that core of liberal learning has to be there because we are preparing for careers that we don't know will exist yet. You were just listening to Lou Manzione. Is it Manzioni or Manzione? Manzione. 
I'm just checking. Yeah, yeah. You know, yes. I can ask you that. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> president of the Association of Independent Colleges and Universities in Jersey, also president of the Independent College Fund in New Jersey, which is the fundraising arm. Yes. Thank you so much, Lou. Thanks, I'm Steve, Steve Adubato. This is State of Affairs. By the way, if you're wondering where we're coming from, it's the Agnes Veras NJTV studio in beautiful Brick City, North New Jersey. Catch you next time. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 30 years of broadcast excellence. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veras NJTV studio at 2 Gateway. Funding has been provided by St. Peter's University, Choose New Jersey, the New Jersey Economic Development Authority, the law firm of Gibbons PC, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, MD Advantage Insurance Company of New Jersey, St. Joseph's Health, and by these public-spirited organizations, individuals, and associations committed to informing New Jersey citizens about the important issues facing the Garden State, and by Employers Association of New Jersey. Autism is one of the fastest-growing developmental disorders in the U.S. Here in New Jersey, one in every 41 children is diagnosed with autism. And when a child is diagnosed with autism, every member of the family is affected. While there currently is no cure for autism, early detection and intervention can offer critical improvements for the child and tremendous benefits for the family. To learn more about autism, contact the Binder Autism Center at St. Joseph's Children's Hospital.